Welcome to On The Way, where we walk through scripture in episodes that are short enough that you can listen to them on the way to your destination and deep enough to help you on the way to becoming who God created you to be. We are being sanctified. We've not yet reached perfection. We are not yet in heaven, but we are on the way. Welcome to episode 13 of On The Way. This is our fifth episode in the book of Hebrews. Today we're studying Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, and Hebrews 4 is absolutely amazing. Hold on to your seats. We have a lot to cover today. I guess unless you're driving, then keep holding on to the wheel. Uh, This chapter is really a continuation of Hebrews chapter 3. It focuses on that idea of entering rest that was introduced in the last chapter. What did chapter 3 tell us about entering rest? Well, it used the Israelites entering the promised land as a foreshadowing. But that was a temporary rest. The rest in the promised land didn't last very long. Jumping forward, Hebrews 4 verse 8 says, Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, but that temporary promised land was only a glimpse of the eternal rest that is yet to come. Entering the promised land is a metaphor of what it would be like to enter rest eternally in the new creation, in the new heavens, and the new earth. We are in the wilderness, walking toward our promised land the new creation. There, we will experience true, eternal rest. But the promised land isn't actually the only metaphor of rest that we see in this passage. It brings to mind the Garden of Eden and the rest that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. It also points to the rest that God did in the garden. So his labor of creation is done, and on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, God rested. Okay, Hebrews 4 starts like this. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. The offer of rest still stands. What does that mean? It means it didn't end when the old covenant ended. When we associate rest with the Sabbath, and then we say that the Sabbath is something that only applies in the past, that it's just part of the old covenant, that it doesn't apply to us, then what we're doing is we're inadvertently relegating rest to the old covenant. The Sabbath law was created to point us forward to Jesus, to to a time when rest wouldn't just be something that we did once a week, that it would grow, that it would be a time when Sabbath would be a way of life. So Sabbath did not end, and our need for Sabbath didn't end when the old covenant ended. It carried forward. It was pointing forward to a new way of life. Our world is weary It's in a constant state of weariness because it is desperate for Sabbath. And we don't have to wait until heaven comes to experience Sabbath. In Mark 2, 27, Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So don't think of the Sabbath as a law anymore. Think of it as a blessing. It's a gift to God's children. This rest is available to us here and now. Just like Jesus fulfilled the law, Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. So now we find rest in him. God's promise of rest still stands. It also didn't end when Jesus died. No, Jesus' resurrection extended the offer of Sabbath and eternal life to everyone. Then the verses continue. 
So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it, to experience that rest. I think here of Penn Jillette's famous statement that he doesn't respect Christians who don't proselytize. So he's an atheist, a famous atheist, and he says that if you truly believe there's a heaven and hell, then the idea of people missing out on heaven should terrify you. And he's right, isn't he? It should terrify us. And it does, if we believe. Verse 2 says, For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. Them. It's still referring to the Jews in the wilderness in the past. The Jews were offered salvation, but they rejected that salvation. Verse 2 continues, But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Is it terrifying that those who don't believe will miss out on God's rest? Yes. So let's tell people about it. I want to talk more about Sabbath here, but I don't have time today. So we're just going to have to take God at his word that rest is good. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10 says, So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. There's also a rest that comes from confidence in God's grace. Confidence in that rest, a peace that results from knowing that our salvation is secure. Our eternal destination is assured. I think that's why there's so much danger in legalism. If we convince people that they have to be good enough to stay saved, then that peace begins to disappear. We all know we are sinners. So if we think we have to do good works to stay saved, no matter how good we are, we will start to doubt our salvation. The reality is that if we can't be good enough to earn salvation in the first place, then we can't be good enough to keep our salvation. Our salvation has nothing to do with our goodness, and it has everything to do with God's goodness. Does that mean that we can pray a prayer of salvation and just keep living our lives however we want to? No. Look at the next verse. Verse 411 says, So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. How did the people of Israel disobey God? We talked about it last week. It was a sin of disbelief. So even though we don't have to be good enough to be saved, we do have to continue in our belief in God. We can't lose our salvation like we accidentally lose our AirPods, but we can choose to walk away from God. We can, start, we can stop believing in God. We can choose to worship other gods instead of God. So if we disobey, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. If we stop believing, we will fall. Then we get to verse 12, and it's amazing. Verse 12 and 13 are two of the most powerful verses, I think, in the Bible. Here they are. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Remember, we've already established that the word of God is Jesus Christ, and the word of God is alive. Jesus is the word. Jesus is alive, and what does the word do? It cuts between soul and spirit. 
Soul is a word that, that's used to describe the whole person. We don't have a soul. We are a soul. So when Jesus cuts between our soul and spirit, then he brings the soul to life. This passage is all about the new creation, a rest that is coming when all things are made new. So stick with me here. This is so deep. So when Jesus returns, he will, we will receive new bodies. Our spirits will leave our old bodies to be joined to our new bodies. So Jesus cutting between soul and spirit is Jesus making it possible for our spirits and therefore our souls to live forever. I hope you caught that. The word, so Jesus, cuts between soul and spirit. He makes it possible for our spirits to leave our old bodies and be joined to our new bodies. And when that cutting happens, verse 12 tells us that our innermost thoughts and our desires are exposed. So the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. I think a better translation would be to say that the word of God is sharper than a surgeon's scalpel. It cuts us wide open. Everything is revealed. The true motivations of our hearts are revealed. It's not about our external actions. It's about our core. It's about our beliefs. Verse 13 says, everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. I always hear people talking about judgment as something that God the Father does. But here we see that Jesus, the Word, is the judge. John 5, through 23 says, The Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge, so that everyone will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. And how exciting is that? If Jesus is the judge, what does that say about the judge? He is a very gracious judge. This judge took our punishment for us. This judge found us guilty, then sentenced himself to death. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus the judge. Okay, we'll finish this chapter next week because there's this really unfortunate chapter change here. Whoever decided to end the chapter after verse 16 didn't seem to understand what the author was trying to communicate. I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves that the verses, the chapters, and section titles are not part of the original Bible. So sometimes studying the Bible simply by dividing it up with chapters or sections doesn't actually make a lot of sense. So we'll start there next week. If you're getting together with a group to discuss this episode, we've included some discussion questions in the show notes. And if you have time, spend a few moments in prayer before your gathering. Ask God to use these passages to form you into the person he created you to be. Thank you for joining me for this episode of On the Way. Next week, we'll finish Hebrews 4 and go through Hebrews chapter 5. Here are the discussion questions for this episode. Number one, Hebrews 4 describes heaven, our eternal promised land, as a place of rest. What kind of rest are you most excited to experience in heaven? Rest from labor, from worry, from temptation, from relational struggles, or something else? Number two, if God rested, we should too. What Sabbath or resting habits have you built into your life? Number three, The author of Hebrews says we should tremble with fear at the thought of people missing out on God's eternal rest. Does the idea of people dying without believing in God evoke emotions in you? Number four, 
Hebrews 4.13 says, Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Does the idea of Jesus, our judge, knowing everything about us cause you to feel fear? Or do you feel excitement knowing that your judge chose to die that you could be made holy? 